This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, many Canadians living in rural areas have limited Wi-Fi access. David Borden helps us understand some of the hurdles and obstacles that they're going through. The Rural and Regional Broadband Project helps us understand how these rural folks are doing business like farmers from so far away and they're stuck with no or extremely slow internet connections. Andy Andy Barrar has a eureka moment about some of his DIY and some of the pesky wires around your house. And how about renting out your pool or your hot tub Airbnb style? And are you okay with working out to music or maybe talk radio? Like my colleagues here seem to really like doing. I was a little surprised by that. It's all coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. It's time for Are You Okay? It's a little uh, piece where we like to present you with, uh, really, first world problems. Hashtag first world problems. And you got to share your thoughts. 877-399-9898. Are you okay with going to the barbershop? Well, see, I don't go very often. Mm, (laughs) At all, to be honest. But... I mean, there's a little barbershop here down near our studio that, always pre-pandemic, would offer people drinks, and it was a little retro-looking oh, barbershop. Well, that looks pretty yeah. cool. If I had reason to go, I would go. Get a nice hot shave on your head. My dad does that. Whenever my dad shaves his head, he goes to the barber just really? for the feeling of just the... Yeah, I don't... I don't, I don't, know I don't have a beard, so know. that doesn't get trimmed. But I like getting a nice haircut. But they're getting expensive, like everything. Yeah. Barbers, barbershops aren't the same, man. They're not the same as they uh, they always were before. Right? Like you used to be able to go there, you get a discount. Sometimes your haircut was like, Meh, questionable. But it was always cheaper, right? Like you go in, you'd have the good conversation with the fellas, and then you would leave. Although now, although my buddy got ripped off. You know how they say like free shoulder rub? <laughs> now when you go for the... I've Some never gotten a free shoulder rub, but yeah, that a would be neck nice. massage, scalp wow. massage, shoulder rub. My buddy goes into one and he's like free shoulder massage with your um with your haircut. But what it was, it was one of those sort of thumper massagers. <laughs> so basically, she pulls out this Theragun thing on his shoulders. He was like, "This is the worst thing ever." So um, kind of That's fun. unfortunate. I've never had a hot shave. I would like to do that one day, although I've gone into the barbershop and I've had uh, the beard trim, which is super nice. That's a nice little treat, little scalp massage. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I like the barbershop. I would say if you go to the barbershop expecting to have a fantastic haircut that's not simple, you're going to the wrong place. I disagree. Really? Barbers, the quality of haircuts in barbershops is, has risen, I have noticed. It's more expensive, but... Like I have found a barbershop where you pay more and it's specifically barbershop and the quality of the haircut is out of this world. Really? Yeah. I mean, you can go to, but, but (laughs) this will kind of disprove my point. Still, if I want to get the best possible haircut, I go to the old salon where she doesn't run it, operate out of a salon anymore. She does it in her basement, but she's still the education in order to have a stylist, you there is certifications that are very different for the barber. So, yeah, I like it. Well, this debate ended in a gunfight in Houston over the weekend. Police say three men were shot and injured in front of a barbershop after that debate got a bit heated. 
What exactly were they debating? Well, was it who had the nicest haircut? Who deserved to win the Stanley Cup? Or maybe who had the nicest car? Maybe who had the nicest Lego? Nope. They were debating which one of them won a foot race. (laughs) Here's more from ABC 13 News. Exclusive surveillance video obtained by ABC 13 from Royalties Wine and Liquor shows the men in the parking lot having first a verbal exchange, but within a few minutes turns to this. Gunshots fired, a man shot, crouched behind an SUV. He attempts to fire back and goes back down. The shooter seen leaving in a black truck as another man continues to fire at him. Stray bullets shattered windows, also striking two innocent clients inside of the barbershop. One of our victims was shot in the buttocks. The other one was shot in the arm. The man on the ground here who was involved in the argument was hit twice. They're all going to be okay. I just came to get a haircut, but it didn't go as planned. Not nearly. Witnesses on scene tell us the beef between the men was long-standing. Tensions over a foot race. Who was deemed the fastest? Houston police believe they know the shooter's name. Going by the name of Trey, at this point, that's all we do have. Wow. (laughs) Who won the race? I know. I don't think Trey won. No. I don't think you start a gunfight if you won. <laughs> and here's my thing, too, is it's shot in the buttocks and shot in the arm. They were like warning shots. They weren't like yeah. nobody was going for the kill. They were just. That's because Trey was the fastest. He was still running and his aim was off. Oh. All three victims were transported to local hospitals with non-life-threatening injuries, according to the police. So just a summary of what just happened. Ryan said going to a barber is better than a stylist, except for when you're looking to go to a stylist, that's better than a barber. Also, three men argue over who is the fastest in front of a barbershop called Mean Cuts. Uh, Mean Cuts with a Z, by the way. Or I guess in this case, a Z. Three people are shot, one of them shot in the butt. Clear? Very clear. Crystal. All right. Uh, That, my friends, is are you okay? Are you okay? (laughs) Are you okay with working out to music? I love it. I, no, I used to be, but I find I just get too intense. I can't find the right tempo of music because like it'll get too intense or I'll get, you know, too slow if I'm listening to slow music. So I've been working out recently. I'm staying on brand. I've been working out to a lot of talk radio. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Uh, I get that. I, I used to, when I was working out, which I don't anymore, uh, I was listening to rock music. Like my favorite workout ever, I had Boston on in the background. But then eventually, the music was all the same. So I just started putting The Office on in the background. And the, you would work out to just white noise, basically. And yeah, it works. Nothing says, hey, man, pump that iron like Charles Adler. <laughs> and some Canadian common sense. It's true. Sometimes that is what comes on. And yeah, doing push ups. <laughs> All right. I don't get it, but clearly. I don't get it good either. Good athletes but, listen to talk radio. Yeah, I don't get it either, but it happens. Well, if you happen to get your gains and pump the iron in South Korea, you're going to have to limit your tunes. According to the BBC, gyms in South Korea's capital Seoul and its surrounding region have been told not to play music with a high tempo higher than 120 beats per minute. It's all in an effort to stop the spread of COVID. 
The music isn't the only thing with a speed limit. Treadmills will be limited to a maximum of 3.7 miles an hour. It's kind of like in Canada where they said don't don't breathe heavy. Uh, health <laughs> officials say the restrictions will prevent people from breathing too fast or splashing sweat on each other. That has no bearing on COVID. Um, Kang Hunku, who owns a gym in Seoul, asked whether there was any proof of choice between classical music or BTS had an impact on spreading the virus. We have good news for those who listen to BTS, like Jason Sparkle Pants Manalis. A reporter at the BBC found BTS' two biggest hits, Butter and Dynamite, sit comfortably in the 110 to 115 beats per minute range. like the same song I, it's um, undeniably catchy mm-hmm. it is undeniably catchy it's true um and sheeran actually wrote their new song just saying so this does mean no death metal but don't worry at the gym or we at the shift have done the research and found the most amazing song to keep you motivated at the gym and it's not charles adler the baffled king composing This way, you nice. can bench with your arms and with your heart. <laughs> with God as your spotter. That song's not about okay, God, so, though. So the BBC provided a list of songs so we can get some reference on how fast is too fast. Okay, so BTS Butter, which we just heard right there, was about 110 beats per minute. Um, Doja Cat and SZA, Kiss Me More, is 111. Well, what the heck is Doja Cat and SZA? It's a great song. Wow. Kiss me more. Trying to find a clean version of it for you. Um, this is this is it right here. It's actually a really good song. I quite like it. I can skip it ahead here. Oh, it's great. Right. Okay. So that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And we all know a little Justin Timberlake. Some JT while you pump that iron. I think that works. I don't know. Doesn't feel very like iron oh, pumping. Wait a minute. No. No, I'm thinking like old school JT. This is this is like summer camp song. All right. There's actually a Skrillex remix of this song. I didn't know that. Lady Gaga. This is a safe song. We can still work out to Gaga. Yeah. I don't know. Can you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can. This is 119. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Perfect. Oh, right under the threshold. Awesome. Now, this is a song that I think that is a good workout song, right? Now, um, right? right. <laughs> Wait, this song is under 120? Mm-hmm. This is dubstep, though. Well, this is more jazz than anything. No, none of these, none of these are inspiring me to work out, though, right now. This is Charles Adler in Canadian Common Sense. See, now that gets me going. <laughs> Suddenly, want to do squats. Right? See, that pumps you up, right? And because of the fact that we should probably throw something in there that is, um, you know, very familiar, right, for everybody, mm-hmm. um, there's this one. This is 117. So this is safe for you for your workouts. Just so you know. Um, some songs that are not safe. I strut to this. I don't really work. Do you? This is more of a strut song. 
can't use this. Just so you know. pump the jam. Yeah. Pump up the jam. This would be great for like step aerobics. I just have a picture of you with headphones on listening to Charles Adler. Uh, right? Doing step aerobics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gets me pumped up. Hey. And if you work out on the weekends, do you listen to Roy Green? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, you know, there and I'm doing pull-ups and they're like, now we're going to talk about the latest polling with Daryl Bricker. And I'm just like, yes, here we go. <laughs> Are you Okay. Are you okay with big fish? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about the it. The bigger the fish, the more I Oh, well, okay. Well, here, let's clarify that. Are you okay? Give me a second here. Okay, there we go. Are you okay with really big fish? Well, when you put it that way, then yeah. Like the ones at the I Bass saw- Pro Shop? No, I think that like I saw I saw like a kayaker video on Instagram reel where they were just kayaking and then this giant looked like a blue whale came flying out of the water and then landed right there too. next to them. Yeah, like that that's too. what I'm yeah. talking about. Big fish. I realize it's not a fish, but big fish. A fossil found deep in the basement of an art gallery shows a lost ocean was home to a giant killing machine. That was, of course, in Australia's outback, because that's where all the scary things in life live. Dr. Adam Yates, senior curator of Earth Sciences for the Museum and Art Gallery of Northern Territory, told ABC Australia it's over 460 million years old. He calls it an oversized killing machine that resembles a giant nautiloid and preyed. I said that as a question because I'm not sure. And preyed (laughs) on early fish species and trilobites. So the segment of fossil that you see is only a part of the whole creature. What we would have had in life with the shell tapering off to a point at one end and at the other end a body chamber in which the animal's soft parts resided and the head would have uh, protruded from that uh, with its tentacles etc. Back part of the shell which this is a part of was filled with gas chambers which they could use for buoyancy control so they could float up and down at will. So what we're looking at is basically uh, something that's very similar to a modern living nautilus. It would have been two and a half meters long. Which, how long is that? Two and a half meters long? Eight feet? Ooh, that's a big fish. Oh, yeah, and it's jet-powered. enormous. As well as uh, close as you can get to a jet 460 million years ago. Not only that they have a funnel so they could use, uh, when they want to move very quickly, they can also expel water from the gill chamber out that funnel and basically jet-propel themselves backwards, he said. That's cool. Have you ever seen a sturgeon? I've never seen a sturgeon. Uh, have you ever a seen a picture of a sturgeon? Well, with the power of the Google, I have now. Wow. Is that not just a shark? That just looks like a shark. Mm-hmm. Well, can do you know where that? you can catch a sturgeon? I'm going to guess somewhere in British Columbia. <laughs> and they're big and they're ugly. Yeah. They're massive. Like, they're as big as your boat, some of them. So, there you go. Enjoy your fishing. Hope that doesn't bite your hook. This is the Shift Podcast. I have so many questions about farmers 
It's not really a farmer's conversation, but it's kind of a farmer's conversation. That's what we wanted to do here. Uh, David Warden is with uh, <laughs> David. You can't have a title in the project that is uh, R2B2 without getting called a nerd. So yeah. um, we love nerds. <laughs> yeah, uh, nerdiness is a good thing sometimes. Um, is that a Millennium Falcon on your uh, counter or your yeah, your shelf? Yeah, there? There, there are some uh, Lego spaceships, some of a, a realistic variety and some of a, uh, a Star Wars type variety in the background here. Yeah. <laughs> so nerdiness is going uh, multiple layers to this conversation. Nice. We are on full tilt here. R2B2. Uh, tell us about the project, David, that you're involved in and uh, what it's about. And then I'm going to tie it into the, the intention of the conversation. Yeah, sounds good. So R2B2 stands for the Regional and Rural Broadband Project. Um, so it's a research project hosted at the University of Guelph in Ontario. And really the focus of this project over the last uh, decade plus has been trying to figure out why uh this digital divide exists basically. So why is it that in urban Canada, for the most part, you're decently well connected uh, in terms of the internet, you can basically get away with Netflix and and working from home and uh, operating a business, all those types of things. Uh, Education as well has been very important recently. Um, And then in the rural part of the country in the remote parts of this country, uh, people struggle quite a bit more in terms of connectivity, being able to use the internet to its full potential um, and really accomplishing things beyond kind of basic email and browsing type uh, uses of the internet. Um, so yeah, it really was started by uh, Professor Helen Hambly, my colleague, uh, when she returned from Europe and had experienced a fairly good connectivity throughout her stay in Europe and then kind of returned back to Canada and her smartphone at the time couldn't even really work uh, where she was operating in Canada. And that kind of kick-started this, you know, why, why is this happening? What, what are the underlying problems here? And what are some of the potential solutions? And the, uh, the solution side of things is, is still ongoing, as I'm sure you can imagine. Farmers and rural uh, dwellers are very used to the costs associated with getting connected. Little things like, if you've ever built a cabin or built a farmhouse, the cost of just getting electricity from that pole over there over to my house is astronomical. Things that have incentives in the city for developers to put all the lines underground to make sure they get to your house. That stuff just kind of magically happens when you build a new house inside the city. Well, when you build a cabin outside the city and you're trying to talk, you know, the old days, get Bell to put in some wireline from that post over here. You were talking $10,000. It was a lot of money. So this is not a new conversation of getting left out for all the rural people, but the economics, the economics of this really for any private enterprise to do it is quite dreadful. Yeah, for sure. And that's a, a big issue is that so with any infrastructure project where you're dealing with very low population densities, uh, from the economic side, that kind of benefits side of your cost benefit equation starts to get a little tilted more towards the cost side and, and less towards the benefit side. So that is essentially the root cause and the root problem is that we you know, the very nature of what being rural means or, or living in a remote community means is that you're probably living somewhere where the population density is, is quite low and there's less of a business case to be providing infrastructure to those areas. Uh, then there's the additional layer on top. So you know, for the most part in, in Canada where you have highways or you have electrical infrastructure or 
gas or you know any types of infrastructure we typically think about as kind of conventional infrastructure um it's usually publicly owned publicly provided there's an onus on the on the government or a public utility to be providing that service kind of to everyone within their service area um and then you have complications on the side of broadband and telecommunications where these are privately owned companies that are interested in maximizing their profits and they aren't obligated to be serving um, some of these far out places. So that adds that additional layer of complexity to the problem. Okay. So what are our options currently? Here's what I know of just from, I mean, I, I live in just outside Calgary now, and I did live in the small town of Carstairs. So lots of farm friends and rural rancher friends out there, their options really were um, radio tower connections, uh, but you had to have line of sight to the tower. Then LTE really helped in a lot of ways, but it was quite expensive at first. It's a little bit better, at least today. But you still had to be within cell tower shot, which doesn't mean everybody. And then satellite was the be-all, end-all. And yet here we are with, um, well, Elon is throwing up satellites like mad, but he's also coming back and saying, by the way, it's not going to be very cost effective. It's going to get it for you, but it's not going to be very affordable. And if you live too close to the cities, it might not be great anyway. Yeah, that, that is, I would say, a fairly accurate conceptualization of, of the current state of things. So as you mentioned, if, if you are fortunate enough to be kind of able to, you know, piggyback off of multiple towers with line of sight, um, then you do have options, at least. Um, the reality is, um, for some parts of the country where you are quite, you know, you're getting quite remote, quite far out, uh, even if you're able to put up quite a bit of money, you're probably not going to be able to solve the problem for any, any realistic uh, household's budget. Um, for the most part, you, you know, a lot of our work is focused in rural Ontario where the distances are, you know, on average, maybe about 10, 20 kilometers between a house and the nearest kind of population center. Um, so those challenges aren't as extreme, but really remote, really rural stuff where it'll just never be profitable for the infrastructure to get out there you are tending towards a satellite solution to deal with those problems. Uh, it's just the only thing that basically it's the only physical option that can work. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, you know, Starlink has come along, Elon Musk's uh, company, and, you know, the, the jury's still kind of out on that to see just how effective that'll really be there. It, it does seem to have good uptake in Canada for as many units as, as they've allowed out. Um, it seems like people are buying them up. But the cost is fairly high. Like it's certainly higher than the average cost uh, for rural users currently. So if you are connected currently, you're on something cheaper um, than what Starlink would be for you, probably. So yeah, and it's uh, even the startup hardware costs are quite you know quite hefty. Uh, looking at it, it, this is just recall. It's about a hundred bucks a month for the cost, but it's seven or eight hundred dollars or a thousand dollars just for some of the gear in Canada to sort of get their starter kit. If I recall that correctly, yeah, I think you're. I think last I looked, it was about one hundred thirty dollars Canadian per month, and then yeah, you're looking seven eight hundred dollars for the hardware. Probably gonna have to yeah. put in a little bit of additional, you know, cost in terms of your time and inst- installation and troubleshooting that type of stuff as well. So maybe taking out trees. I mean, I yeah. think of, I think of Northern Saskatchewan, right? I think of Northern Alberta, Northern BC, Northern Manitoba, to your point, um, you know, there are places in Canada when you get into Northern Ontario, like Dryden in those places, trying to get AM or FM radio is, is hard, right? So, yeah. I mean, imagine that. And 
It's not just so simple. So how do we, how does this get fixed? Because here's the catch for me. If you're a rancher farmer and you need to do business in today's world, you need access to the internet. You, you really just have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to get onto market pricing. You can't just rely on these magazines arriving in the email with last week's market pricing updates and next week's you know, forecasts and futures. So how, how do you do that? And not only that, I also, um, I know GPS is so incredibly important in a lot of the equipment today. So in order to be able to do really effective technology uh, mapping and, um, and updates to your technology. So if you have a, now forgive me farmers who are listening, because this might not be exactly the right terminology, but in the spirit of what I'm trying to say is that, you know, in, in trying to get all of the updates so you can make sure that you're even accurately tracking with GPS, with this fertilizer or this seed, and make sure that you're, uh, there's, there's, there's mixtures, there's disbursements, those are not the right industry terms, but it's got to be laid out properly or else it's going to cost you in the long run. You got to update your, your machines. Yep, exactly. So the, I mean, agriculture is a very high tech industry uh, and more now than ever. Um, so we, we have done some preliminary work about precision agricultural technologies. And some of the initial findings are, the first one being essentially farmers who don't have good enough connectivity just aren't, they aren't able to use it is the bottom line, right? So they might be getting, you know, tractors or, or combines, other types of machinery that have the functionality. So theoretically, if their internet was good enough, they could be getting a lot more value out of their machinery. Uh, but essentially those, those features are switched off for lack of a better word, right? Um, yeah. So, at, you know, as you mentioned with something like uh, variable rate technologies, where you're thinking about the application of uh, fertilizer to a field, for example, really simple example. Um, yeah, you're you're washing money away, so to speak, if you don't have yeah. the latest updates and the ability to, you know, continually refine that process, uh, which quite often times requires good, good uh, connectivity. Uh, my understanding of some of that uh, machinery as well is that the applications that it can run on are, are cloud-based and you're trying to upload a bunch of data to a cloud-based software and uh, the current state of a lot of rural connectivity is is not sufficient to be able to do that. Yeah. So. Well, it doesn't work when it takes four days, right? Yeah, <laughs> or whatever, right? Exactly, yeah. It becomes irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't even understand how that 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 family would do business in that world. So boy, oh boy, uh, I don't think I ever understood, David, the, um, you know, the broadband internet should be a, a right. I mean, th- that that's the simple language that gets tossed about. And I'm kind of like, well, no, I guess the old attitude for me was, well, just get a job and get the internet, right? Um, but access to broadband, access to high-speed internet in today's world becomes such a roadblock um, for uh, rural farmers, but it's, there are towns and cities that go through this too, that are a little bit far away that are pretty small. Um, what, what do you know about that? Cause I saw on the list of some of the different uh, places that you guys have done work. I mean, I lived in St. Catharines in Niagara. You have some of those beautiful little towns that are up on top of the escarpment that are sort of hidden, tucked away. Um, and then, and then Collingwood, which everybody knows Collingwood, but even that has a business case to be included in some of your work. Yeah. And, uh, it, it is it is a good thing to keep in mind that like there's no doubt that if you are able to cluster together, you've got neighbors to work together, or if you have you know council members and municipal partners and all that type of momentum behind you, um, you're definitely going to have more success dealing with this problem. Uh, there's some good cases out there of you know even just 
kind of community activist level work coming together and, and actually generating change, getting funding, being able to install infrastructure if if an ISP wasn't willing to, or in most cases, it's usually, you know, we'll pitch in a bit, subsidize a little bit here, and then ISP will come in and support. Um, another case I know of uh, specific to, you know, more your neck of the woods uh, is Olds Alberta, if, uh, if any listeners want to check that one out. It's kind of a, uh, a trophy, I guess, is one way to put it. Um, it's, it's being kind of held up as that that holy grail example for some of Canada, where you had a community that very early on, I think this was early 2000s, decided we're going to install fiber optic infrastructure. We're going to run a, you know, essentially our own ISP out of here. And uh, my understanding is uh, that, that that they, you know, reap the benefits of employment, both at, you know, an agricultural producer level and other types of rural employment that you'd see. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend uh, checking out Olds Alberta as well. But um, yeah, honestly, it's uh, a bit of a, a, you know, scatter in terms of the strategies that people take uh, to address their connectivity. We have in Southwestern Ontario, we have something called SWIFT, which is basically a conglomeration of a bunch of uh, municipal, municipalities put money into this. So Niagara, as you mentioned, St. Catharines area, um, Niagara is one of the groups that put money into that. And really those projects rolled out this year. Uh, so there's already starting to be fiber infrastructure installed on the ground for some of these communities where probably wouldn't have happened without that kind of coordination at a, at a like entity, regional entity level. Um, so yeah, some of the recent announcements are, are pretty good, more than $250 million leveraged into that. And I think over 60,000 premises being passed on some of those projects. So, wow. Yeah. Well, it gives you, that gives you, um, I mean, I realize that's not one service house, but it gives you the scope of how private business can't just dive into it and just toss that money about in hopes that they get 13 new clients, right? At, at yeah. 110 bucks a month. Absolutely. The cost, the costs, especially when you're talking about something like fiber optic, uh, which is, we would consider basically the state of the arts, the most long lasting and kind of future proof technology right now. Um, the cost is, is exceedingly high. Um, once you start having, you know, even just, a kilometer between you and your neighbor, the cost is getting, is getting pretty up there. So as I mentioned before, you know, the sense of what rural means in Southwestern Ontario is quite a bit different from what rural might mean in, you know, Saskatchewan or, or Alberta. So the just you add more distance and you create more costs. Yeah. Well, it is interesting in looking at some of the different project lists and the different like uh, Kingston, the smart Kingston project uh, that's worth looking at too. Um, then you talk about Olds as an example. You talk about Niagara because you have Niagara College, you have Brock. Every single one of these centers tends to have a post-secondary um, uh, hub to it, right? And isn't yeah. that interesting to look at that? So that's not going to always solve everything because I've, you know, when you get up to, I'll use Dryden as an example. Um, I mean, I haven't even been anywhere near Dryden in so many years, so probably a dated example now, but it's not like you can get you know, just drop a college in everywhere, a <laughs> polytechnical institute that's going to drive the the dollars and drive some of these ideas. So, David, how do we get this fixed? How do we get rural farmers and users to have the same access to tools? I mean, what? who needs to step up here? Yeah, I think the reality is that there, there probably isn't a one-size-fits-all solution to it. And it's also something that unfortunately isn't going to be fixed tomorrow either. Um, the current approach, though, is, you know, the federal government has made commitments that a very high percent, I'm trying to remember right now, I think it might be 98% or something of, of Canadians will be connected 
by 2030 or something like that, slightly after 2030. Um, so really, the you know, ultimately, the federal government is kind of the one who generally focuses on this overall connectivity. Each provincial government is also fairly focused on it. Here's a lot of, you know, from their constituents about the need for improving it. So it's certainly a hot, hot topic in terms of the political realm. There's a lot of momentum behind it. But I think everyone's running into and keeps running into the same problem. The same problem we've run into for years is, you know, you've got limited funding, you've got different incentives for governments versus the incentives that private internet service providers might have. And it, it creates a, a difficult, complicated problem. Um, as I mentioned, you, you know, you have regional organizations like SWIFT where you're not just relying on kind of like industrial or, or institutional hubs to kind of service the nearby community. Um, that's probably one of the better examples of how you, for lack of better words, service just like the average household laying around. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not an easy solution. I think the reality is, especially kind of going back to the egg producer side of things, I think the reality is that a lot of people, you know, don't really just put up with it. They go out there and they come up with innovative solutions to try to fix the problem on their own, right? Whether it is people installing their own their own towers and that type of thing, or if it's, you know, people who don't have the funds for that, so they come together and they form a cooperative. Or we've heard quite a few anecdotal stories of people who are so fed up with the situation of their connectivity that they, you know, they form their own ISP with their with their brother or their uncle or something, it becomes a family business, right? So there's a whole myriad of approaches that people have taken and it's a bit of a balance of patience and funding. And, you know, once the momentum's yeah. there and I'd say the momentum really has gotten there where uh, I think the ISPs feel a lot of, you know, public perception pressure to, to help out as well. So I think that also helps the problem, but. Yeah. And it takes it not even into the, um, the wireline sort of classic copper, traditional withdrawal uh, from some of those old services. Um, you know, let's throw back to the old party lines, multiple rings, and people who are still using those old sort of dial-up because the only access they have is copper connection. And then you have all these businesses that are saying, oh, yeah, well, we're just not going to – if it breaks, it breaks. When it's done, it's done. We're not going to do anything. That doesn't even get into that. So you can hear the politics just sort of layered under just our normal conversation about it, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh... – it's one of those things like if, you know, even in this conversation, I would say that the way I talk about the data around this, this problem, yeah, I try to stress that, you know, nobody has perfect data about this. It's, it's a hard thing to, to really assess. Um, and one of the reasons I do that as well is, is in the consideration of how politically nuanced the, the problem can be. There are a lot of different stakeholders and the reality is it's a profitable industry. There's, you know, as you mentioned, it's essentially become a necessity, essentially a, almost every Canadian wants to be connected at this point. So it's a, it's a big market and there's a lot of money up there. Unbelievable. David Warden is with the r2b2project.ca. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a bunch of nerds who care about all the connectivity, really, is what it boils down to. David, thanks for the insight. Uh, I guess we can just come to the conclusion that uh, the date that it arrives for everybody is never going to be soon enough. <laughs> yep, never soon enough. Uh, and I'd encourage people to, you know, if you're in that situation, keep trying, talk to your neighbors. There might be options out there to, to get something put together to help you out. So, It's the Shift Podcast. Disco Andy is in the house. That's what happens when you go to Vegas for a convention. 
and video ends up in the internet. Jessica Andy is here. How are you, Andy Barrar? I'm good. I'm good. I just I'm always wondering what music are you guys going to play next, man? I'm I'm here mm-hmm. for the tunes, the the jams. This is awesome. That's right. Yep, Disco Andy. That's why we do it. Break out your platform shoes, man. In one of those videos you posted, handyandymedia.com, I want to see you, you know, doing the hustle one day. That's what hey, I want to see. Hey, my, my footwork is really good. You know, that jump work, all oh, that jump rope really got my my feet moving again. So I think so. I got my old my old moves back. The new Jack Swing. You know, the running man? Remember the running man mm-hmm. from the 90s? Mm-hmm. I can do that with the jump rope now, too. Hmm. If you like new Jack Swing, you should watch the um, the Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix. They is go it into out yet? How, well, oh, it's no, on no, Netflix. Hip Hop Evolution's been out. It's um, but they go through all the series and episodes of all the different eras of hip hop, and they do a whole thing on New Jack yes. Swing. Yes, I have. I have something to tell you. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but they're making a new series called Pop Evolution. So it's the same. The same people that made Hip Hop Evolution oh, are really? making hey. about pop music, and yours truly might be in it because they asked me to whistle some boys to men tunes and send it to video. So, and I signed a waiver too for this. So. You might be on Netflix one day and hear me uh, whistling "End of the Road." It, it might. I hope I make the cut. Well, I hope you have your shirt on this time. Handyandymedia.com <laughs> um, is where if you want to see his videos, and none of them, as far as I know, no, no, there was a skipping one with no shirt on. I saw that one. There's very few that does not wear uh, clothing, uh, just so you know. But ladies, he's handsome. You never know. You might have actually. I just posted, we were going to talk about this next week, but I guess I should preview it. Um, the tech that I used to get fit during COVID and my friend who, who kind of man, helps me manage my YouTube channel, he used um, some, some still images of me without my shirt as the thumbnails. So hopefully that'll help. Well, I'll do whatever it takes for views. You know, I just want subscribers at this point. I spent all these time making these videos. Need to get more subscribers. So please, Canada. Subscribe to uh, my YouTube channel at handyandymedia.com. How's that for a plug? <laughs> That's good. Uh, I mean, you're going to have an OnlyFans by the time this is done. Let's just call it for what it is. Um, what happened to Andy? Why doesn't he do the show anymore? Because he does an OnlyFans. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, like I said, you'd be today? surprised at what I do for money these days. You know, I'm getting very, <laughs> I, I, very creative. I know there's a lot of uh, there's an awful lot of thievery going on, uh, but you're, you're you're like Robin Hood. You're like the Robin Hood of the internet, and yes. you're looking to pay back all of the people around you. So what are you up to, and where are we going on on the show today? Well, okay. First of all, something funny happened to me, and it it created a, a DIY Eureka moment. I don't know if you ever have these, Shane, but you eureka. know they, they it is a complete Eureka. So basically. One day I woke up and I noticed that my Wi-Fi wasn't working. So, and not, not just working, but the network is not even showing up. So I go to my router and the router is not even on. So still now I'm in like my, my tech support mode and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I follow the cable and then I realize the cable's unplugged from the power bar. And what happened was my, my Roomba robotic lo- or vacuum at nighttime hit the power bar which then dislodged the internet and then the Roomba got stuck because it was disconnected from the internet. So pretty much the entire smart home shut down because of this Roomba. And then I realized, Shane, that, you know, 
I don't really have a really good setup with my my router. I have a modem. I have a NAS, which is called a network attached storage, which is like a hard drive attached to your network. And then I have all these smart home bridges. So a lot of these different types of network equipment all sitting on this one table with the cables all like tangled. So then I was like, you know, I need to fix this. This is ridiculous. I'm like handy, Andy. Why do I have such a messy cable job here? And I hate messy cables. And then I had this Eureka, like straight up pure Archimedes style Eureka moment where I was like, I got it. I'm going to build corner shelves, floating corner shelves, install all this network equipment nice and high, run all the cables down the corner, use a a cord hider, mount power bars onto the bottom, right onto the wall and set it all up. And I, I just went into like straight DIY mode, ran into the back of my shed, grabbed some old leftover plywood because I couldn't buy, I couldn't afford wood these days. And I went to work, painted everything. And if you go to my website, you can see these corner shelves. I'm actually might create some more of them as gifts for people. It's a kind of an odd gift, but it's like, Hey, I built these shelves for your router. And then uh, maybe I'll just install it for them and, you know, spread the word. Corner shelves are like my new thing, Shane. I'm all about it. I look at every wall in my house and I'm like, Ooh, I could put a shelf there. I could put a shelf there. So <laughs> I need plywood. I need money so I can buy some nice plywood so I can keep making these corner shelves and put shelves. I'm, I don't know if I ever told you that, but my whole DIY thing started with shelves. So I'm going back to my roots and building shelves everywhere. I think it's fantastic. I, I would suggest that maybe you should just trade some of your marijuana plants that you have too many growing <laughs> in your backyard for it to be legal. Uh, no, no, I told you. I traded the extra four that I had for the blueberry bushes. So everything is prim and proper now. Um, and uh, we'll see how that turns out. This is my first year growing in an actual greenhouse. But the heat dome, they got really stressed out. The max temperature inside there, because I have this little device that tells you the minimum and max temperature, it got mm-hmm. up to 57 degrees inside there. So wow. I don't know how those plants are going to do later on. I don't think they were meant to get that hot, but... Uh, We'll, we'll find out, I'm, I guess, in September and October. I'm sure you're going to be all right. We'll find out uh, in time. But there's always next year, Shane, you know? There's always next year. <laughs> How are your blueberries doing, by the way? Did they come back yet? Oh, no. The blueberries. Okay, so my blueberry farmer friend, is, like we're like Facebook friends now, too. And so he was watching some of my jump rope videos. And in the back, you could see these dead blueberry bushes. So he messages me. He's like... Yeah, your blueberry bushes aren't looking very good. And I told him, you know, I don't think it survived the heat dome because I had a transplant. And so he told me that they're actually switching to a different variety. So he's got blueberry bushes like galore that he wants to give me in September. So I'm going to create that automated watering system I was ta- we were talking about last week. And once I get that built, I'm going to build it in August. And then I'm going to get new blueberry, blueberry bushes and have it all set up. Like I am... I am determined to become a micro blueberry farmer. One way or another, Shane, I'm going to figure this out and have blueberries for the rest of my life. Nice. I like it. Handy Andy Barrar, handyandymedia.com if you want to check it out. So where are we going next? We, uh, we've got the shelves. We, we've done that. Um, do you want to do the uh, Airbnb for backyard activities or do you? where are we going yeah. to go? Are you going to help out the neighbors? Which one do you want to do? Well, let's do that one first. Uh, a lot, I never thought about this, but there's a lot of Canadians out there who have backyard pools. That's and a genius a, idea, by the way. I think I know. you should trademark I, this right now. Oh, oh, that's already done. So I can't. But I saw it and I was like, wow, this is brilliant. So there's an app. It's called Swimly. 
And it's basically like Airbnb, except for swimming pools. So you could book other people's swimming pools for parties or birthday parties. Um, and so if you have a pool and you want to make some extra cash, and a lot of people are, are doing this, it's very popular in Canada and in other uh, countries around the world, where if you have a pool, just like Airbnb, somebody can book it and they do all the transactions and you can make some extra money on that. Another thing that people are doing, Shane, that I never did, because you know I, I have an Airbnb as well, is mm -hmm. they're cross-marketing their Airbnb. So they'll they'll promote it on Facebook Marketplace. They'll promote it on Kijiji or other different social media sites um, to promote their Airbnb suite because Airbnb allows you to have a dedicated link for your, your uh, place. So what they're doing is sharing that. And that's just another trick I thought um, for anybody out there that does short-term rentals to definitely check out is to share your rentals on other sites to kind of cross-promote to make some extra money. Okay, so Ryan and I tossed this idea around. First of all, I think it's genius. What a great idea, you know, make a little extra money, a little private pool, if you will. But do you want total strangers coming to bathe communally with you? Well, I don't think you're going to be in the pool with them. But the thing about pools is it takes a lot to maintain it. You know, you got to check the pH and you have to just like keep it clean. It's it's a lot of work. By doing this, say you you rent your pool out to a couple of times a, a year or something like that. The money you make could actually pay off the maintenance fees. So it, it kind of mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to, you know, got to think more creatively basically uh, with our spaces. For example, my Airbnb, when during COVID, people were booking it uh, to have a celebration of life, like a wake, um, because someone had passed away during COVID and they wanted to talk, but they couldn't go indoors. So they rented a bunch of tents, put in my backyard. They had hand sanitizer stations and people were able to get together for this celebration of life. And that kind of got my eye opening. And since then, I've had people get married in my backyard. I've had photo shoots, music videos. You name it, you know, if you if you have some space, um, you can use the power of social media to advertise it. And trust me, there are people out there that will rent it. Really? This is interesting. Yes, it's uh, I like the it, I like the idea. I, I wouldn't suggest it for your hot tub. No, no, no. I think I think a pool, you know, because it's typically going to be like families or kids that just need a, you know, a lot of people just need a place. And this idea came through the pandemic when everything got shut down and people still wanted to go outside, especially when it gets hot. You know, I guarantee that supply and demand of, of people wanting your pool to be in water goes up when it gets hot. So it's a it's another way to try to be creative to earn another little income stream, have a little side gig, if you will. Yeah, I like that DIY slip and slide. Although you could do that in your backyard. You could just fill it up, filled with water slides and all kinds of jumpy houses and bouncy houses and all those things. And, you know, have a little amusement park in your backyard and uh, do it that way. That'd be all right. Yeah, that's actually a really, really good idea. And just the, the thing about social media and what we should talk about next door, because that's a hyper local social media site. So you can advertise it within just people that are in your neighborhood just to, you know, to give you more peace of mind. Um, there's just these are all the things I've been thinking about, Shane. I'm, I'm looking for creative like ideas to to, you know, just think outside the box and find different income streams that you probably never consider. And that's the amazing thing about technology is if you have a good idea, you know, people will, will you know, it could just blow up online mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a matter of minutes.
I'll share with you one of my uh, one of my dreams that I don't share very often. This is really my fundamental, like where I want to get to in life. Is I want to have a house. You know, I don't. It doesn't have to be a massive house. It's going to look like a big house, but I want to have a house that's big enough to have a hall attached to it, where people can get married for free. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a fantastic yeah. idea. It wouldn't be like every weekend, and you wouldn't do these big shindigs or whatever. But small weddings for people who can't you know, afford to don't want to do it. They want to do it the right way. Not just like have some big spend money spectacle. Not that I'm obviously carrying baggage from when I got married and it was just like hundreds and hundreds of people that were there. Uh, I think that's a great idea. And I would like that. I would like to be that old guy that gets to just kind of stand in the corner and watch, you know, young couples in love get married. I think that's fun. Yeah. It's kind of like those little chapels they have in Vegas without the Vegas, I guess. And yeah, no Elvis. Um, so what is this? So the, the, the next door app, that's not Swimly. That's different. Different yeah, topic no, here. Swim. Yeah. So Swimly is a completely different. It's like an Airbnb. Next door actually has this new feature that I, that I just signed up for Shane. They're doing this, like this, this whole program about having people in your neighborhood, like walk together, like safe walks. If you don't feel safe, you can, you know, use the next door app, which is basically like Facebook, but just inside your neighborhood, like within a, a short radius of where you live. So all your different neighbors. And so you mm-hmm. can use this and be like, hey, I'll just offer to go for walks with you. So in next door, if anybody's in Surrey, BC, um, you'll find me and you can I, actually I offered help. So I'll do tech support. I'll teach people how to grow vegetable garden, like how to start a vegetable garden or pot. teach you how to jump rope. Or we can go for walks in the park. So you can find me now on Nextdoor on the help section. If you look in Surrey, you'll f- and it's actually my real name. I wanted to use Handy Andy, but ne- uh, Nextdoor, you actually have to use your real name and address so they can verify that you do live in that neighborhood. But it's a great mm-hmm. initiative, and I encourage other people if you just want to help out. You know, you 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 could even offer to water people's gardens if they go on holidays. So I think it's just a great app. It's something I always use. I share all the pictures of my gardens and I tell people to share their garden pictures. And I also realized that in Nextdoor, you can share videos. So now I'm doing little video tours of all my gardens and sharing it with my fellow neighbors. And I encourage other people to do the same and just offer to help. You know, if someone needs to, someone to pick up groceries, you can use the Nextdoor app to, uh, you know, offer that help or seek that help as well. Well, for an additional cost, he'll do it with no tarp on. <laughs> no, Andy, shirt, Andy, shirts are on. <laughs> you're never going to let this go, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not going to let it go because you're slowly becoming. You're back to the OnlyFans again. Do you see that the crossroads? You keep coming back to the OnlyFans because now you're a gigolo. These are great ideas. I tease Andy Barrar, HandyAndyMedia.com. Check it out and follow his Twitter too because those videos are on the uh, the YouTube page and it's all connected through the website too. Thanks, brothers. Great to see you. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.